0: Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money, mamas. Hey there, mamas. I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan, and today it's time for our monthly mailbag on the Smart Money Mama Show. I'll be answering questions directly from listeners like you that have come up through our discussion of how to handle money with your family. May's questions cover teaching kids about money, emergency funds, aging parents and more. We can't make money decisions in a vacuum, unfortunately. Not only do we have our own money emotions to deal with, we have to factor in the wants, needs and mindsets of our loved ones. It's not easy, but it's why I love talking about family and money we're never quite done. We need to keep open and honest conversation, navigate the twists and turns life throws at us, and create strong family money values to fall back on so we're working together towards goals that matter to us. For an overview of this month's questions and to download your free family money values template, head over to the show notes at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 35. As a reminder, for these mailbag episodes, we source questions from our free Mamas Talk Money community on Facebook, which we'd love to have you join. But you can also always send me questions via email or on Instagram, where I'm at Smart Money Mamas. All right, all right. It's time to get started, especially because with this mailbag, we're going to do something a little new and exciting. My right hand lady at Smart Money Mamas, Lauren, is going to join me to go through your questions. How's it going, Lauren? It is going pretty good. Are you ready
1: for this? I am. It's like 70 degrees out for the first time, I think, this year. It's sunny.
0: What a happy day.
1: My baby's out of the house.
0: (laughs) With her dad, not just you didn't just leave her outside.
1: True, true. She hasn't been away from me since March, so I've been productive today. Like This is a great day.
0: (laughs) All right, Lauren, what do we have for questions? What's our first one? Okay,
1: this question is from Emily G., She asked, at some point, I need to find a way to teach my teen boys about budgeting, et cetera. They will both work some this summer if we can find them jobs, but they spend their allowance quickly and without much thought. Any ideas?
0: I love this question. Teenagers and money is such an awesome point because they want that independence, right? They're already ready to kind of do their own thing. So the first part of this question that I want to touch on is they're going to both work this summer if we can find them some jobs. I take the we out of that, Emily. This has got to be completely on them, right? You got to tell them that you expect them to work and then let them apply, make the phone calls, do the applications, do the whole thing. But then when we really want to teach them money lessons, especially as teenagers. It's all about giving them some autonomy and responsibility to do it on their own, right? They have to have expenses that they have to cover. And if they can't make it work, you have to let them feel that pain, whatever it is. You mentioned their allowance. Set some rules for their allowance too. Is their allowance supposed to cover school events? Is it supposed to cover clothing or dances or whatever it is? And let them set that up. And once again, let them kind of set back on it. Lauren, what were you responsible for when you were a teenager?
1: I started working pretty early when I was 14, and my mom told me that whatever I saved, she would match for my car, which is probably one of the best lessons she ever taught me. (laughs) But there wasn't a lot of extra around, so pretty much anything I wanted to do that wasn't like food and a roof over your head, it was like, you know, take it out of your money. Go ahead. I spent a lot of money on gas. I drove all my friends around. I don't know why I didn't charge them gas money.
0: That was, I think, the biggest one for me is like gassing car expenses was was my responsibility. And then I don't think I took over my cell phone until college. But having some of those bills, I've actually had a lot of success from people who have older kids. My kids are still little, uh, as you know, Emily. But- passing on like Netflix expenses, cell phone expenses, and building that into your kid's allowance will give them some, some boundaries. I think at this age saying like, Hey, you have to save 20%. It's going to be a hard uphill battle. If you haven't done it in the past, you can do it and you can explain it, especially if you choose to incentivize it a little bit like, Hey, we'll match your savings or things like that, but really just letting them have those responsibilities and letting them set the boundaries. That's the best way.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't have learned without that. It was was (laughs) definitely needed.
0: (laughs) For sure. For sure. So hopefully that helps Emily. And Lauren, do we have another question?
1: Yes. The next question is another one about kids and money. This one from Jennifer H. She asks, what are ways we can teach young kids about money right now when going to the store to use cash is not super practical? Doing lessons from his teacher at home made me realize my son is clueless. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs>
0: so, so Lauren, I asked Jennifer um, how old her kids were because this could be a range of answers. True. So she has a six-year-old and a four-and-a-half-year-old. She's talking about her six-year-old at the moment. And I actually think that six is a good age to have a lot of things that you can do at home, one of which is uh, we love the needs and wants game, even with our four-year-old. And they can she can do this with her four-and-a-half-year-old as well, where we just have little index cards that have a bunch of different pictures on them, like – food and a house and a bicycle and all that kind of stuff. And then we have two cards, a needs card and a wants card. And the boys have to sort them into the right piles. And we talk about what's a need and what's a want. And there's some of those things that fall somewhere in the middle, right? That's like, I I want this a lot, or I feel like I need it, but I don't know. And we have those conversations. We really break it down of like, okay, do we need a car? A car is one that comes up all the time of like, well, we have a bike and we have a stroller. Why do we need a car? And that we get to have a little bit of conversation about money values and things like that and the differences of people's expectations. So that's a good game to play. Playing store is a really good opportunity with kids this age. If you Even if you have monopoly money around the house and explaining to them making change and how the process works when you buy things, games are a really good thing at this age. Uh, and then the very simple this comes back to making change, but a six-year-old, we hope that they know how much the different coins and dollars are worth, but if they don't, this is another opportunity to lay that cash out and talk about it, right, Lauren? We, uh, we've we talked about Henry's egg stand a little bit on the podcast, and the other day, he brought his money in, and he goes, I didn't get as much as usual. I only have two. And he held it up and one was a $5 bill and one was a $1 bill. I was like, actually, buddy, you have six. And we had to talk about the different dollar bills. So that's always a lesson as well. Any other ideas, Lauren?
1: You know, I actually wanted to hear your answer to this because (laughs) I I read it and I was like, yeah, I have no idea.
0: (laughs) Well, luckily, Ainsley's still little.
1: She is. She has this little... It's a wooden piggy bank with wooden coins. And I think somewhere there's like wooden credit cards that go with it. And I'm like, I liked part of this idea and not the other part.
0: (laughs) Credit cards are actually a good conversation to have with kids too, though. And I think that that's one we've had with Henry about Shopping online. Because a lot of times when we want to, you know, get him a new toy or something, this is actually another good opportunity, Jennifer, is we'll say like, okay, you have $25 to order a new toy. Like, let's go online and we'll see what fits. And then I talked to him about the fact that we can't pay with cash like he would do from his piggy bank. And we put in this credit card and then the money that's in our bank, we pay it off. And it's a little bit... It's a little bit amorphous for him right now. He doesn't completely understand, but it means that when when we're in the store and we swipe the card, he has some understanding that that's not just like magic money that mommy had to put money in the bank to be able to use that card. So you can talk about that as well. I think we've heard from a lot of parents that They're spending more on like educational toys and things for home when schools are closed. So bringing your six-year-old in and saying like, hey, here's the budget. Like we're going to order some things to entertain you at home. Like what do you want to do and what's the cost per use, right? So we can say like, okay, this toy looks really fun, but how long will you play with it versus a sprinkler that you might play in all summer or a deck of cards that you could do a lot of different things with. Uh, So it's just having those conversations and giving them little opportunities to make decisions. You don't need to be out and about in the store.
1: It's a great point. I love the point about the cards because my first inclination was just be like, no, no, I don't want to deal with this. (laughs) They are going to spend their whole lives with digital money. That's not cash. So I super appreciate that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. What's next, Lauren?
1: The next two questions are a little less fun, but they're so important. The first one's from Mackenzie L. She asks, Is there anything we can do to prepare for the death of in laws? My mother in law has a degenerative condition. As far as my husband knows, his parents still owe a lot on the house, have little to no savings, no 401k or updated wills. What
0: happens in a situation like this? Wow, Mackenzie, that is a big question and one that I think a lot of people are wondering about right now with all that's happening in the world. And we're just having to face questions that we've tended to avoid in the past. So the first thing I would say is if you haven't listened to Cameron Heddleston's episode with us, which was last Thursday, definitely check it out. It's episode 34. Cameron wrote a book, Mom and Dad, We Need to Talk, about having these essential money and aging conversations with our parents, which we all want to have. And it is as uncomfortable as having our parents having the sex talk with us. We know that. Actually, I think our parents might want to have this conversation even less with us than that conversation. But I think the first thing to say is, with in-laws, it's almost always best to have the child have that conversation. So instead of you having this conversation and taking the lead on this, it's really got to be your husband. If he, as far as he knows, if he thinks this is the answer, he's got to approach the conversation and just say, hey, mom, what's set up? When was the last time you updated the will? Who is the executor on the will? And just in a, in a way of saying, like, I don't care what's in the will. I just want to know what our responsibilities are, and we want to make sure that we're prepared so that your wishes get honored and we're not scrambling at the last minute. There are ways to approach it that are easier than others. If your mother-in-law passes away without an updated will, there's a couple different things that can happen. One, if she has a will that exists that just hasn't been updated in 30 years, that can be kind of a mess. It's up to your local state of whether or not that will is still valid. Some states will say like, okay, it's been 20 years. We're just acting like she doesn't have a will. But if it doesn't, we have to chase down everyone that is named in that will, figure out whether they passed away. If they've passed away, we need proof that they've passed away. And we have to go through the whole process with the probate court to get it sorted out. If she passes away with no will or the court decides that she has no will, then you have to deal with probate in tenancy, which basically means you're going to have to get all her information together. You're going to have to go down and file in the probate court, and you're going to have to go through the process of getting assets cast down based on whatever the rules for the state is. If she has a surviving spouse, that's usually the first person, and then surviving children are next, and it's split that's a longer term process. It can be really messy. It can take, depending on your state, it can take anywhere from six months to two years. This is an instance where if you can have that conversation, have the conversation beforehand. It's going to make things a lot easier. Um, no 401k, things like that, little to no savings. It's going to make the process faster, but you want to make sure that especially with the house, you know what's going on and you know what could happen with the house. And in some cases that might even mean you encourage your mother-in-law to sell the house before she passes away and either move in with a family member or move to an assisted living facility so that it's not something that massively has to be dealt with. And in which case then she would have almost no assets, and she doesn't really need a will because nothing needs to be passed down. And that makes things a little bit simpler. So I really just encourage you to start to have the conversation. This gets really complicated if there is no paperwork in place and no one knows what's happening. Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. Cameron's episode was really good. I need to have some of those conversations <laughs> as well. I know that everyone has plans. I know that I'm responsible, but I don't have any of the details. So it was, it was another kick in the butt to be like, all right get everyone talking
0: <laughs> get everyone talking for sure and i think that this with covid too that we're having the conversation more of incapacitation instead of death like okay if you're on life support or you're on a ventilator what is the health considerations that you want in which case having a healthcare power of attorney filled out even if they have a will they might not have completed their healthcare power of attorney or updated it so that you can make decisions for them that are aligned with what they want that's another thing to check in on is make sure you have that paperwork done as well
1: nice Our friend Mary G actually has two questions. I'll give you both of them. She says, I feel like this may be creeping towards morbid, but no one I know wants to talk about this in real life. That is why we're here.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. I totally understand that.
1: (laughs) What is the value or what are the pros and cons of getting life insurance for minors? Also, what about prepaid burial plans for adults. How can we be sure Happy Acres Crematorium and Funeral Parlor will be around for our kids to use if we live to be octogenarians or centenarians?
0: Wow. Okay. These are two good questions, and I'm going to touch Let's tackle the the kids and in life insurance one first. Life insurance is meant to replace income if you pass away early. So for the vast majority of cases, kids don't need life insurance. My very crude joke but my dad's business partner used to say, we don't insure liabilities. <laughs> kids are still a liability. They still cost us money, oh, no. in which case we don't insure, insure kids. Now, one of the arguments that we hear sometimes is that you want to get life insurance for kids uh, because it protects their insurability. If they develop some kind of illness, chronic illness, then they still have coverage and they wouldn't be able to get coverage as adults. The thing is protecting their Insurability means you only have the insurance that they currently have. It doesn't give them a right to get any more insurance as they get older, if they've developed any kind of condition. That's a fairly unlikely situation. The vast majority of people will be able to get very affordable life insurance in their early 20s. If you have a child that does not have that, life insurance for kids tends to be whole or permanent life insurance, not term life insurance, which is four to 10 times as expensive as term life in the first place. And the coverage limits are pretty low. You're usually talking somewhere between $10,000 and $100,000 in coverage, which as an adult is really not going to make a huge difference anyway if they're 30 or 40. It's it's good. It's good to cover funeral expenses and things like that, but it's not going to be a huge amount. Instead, I would put money you would normally put towards premiums in a savings account or even in an investment account for your kids to grow when they need it. And if something happened, you can fall back on it for, for health expenses or or God forbid, funeral expenses. But most of the time, life insurance for minors doesn't make sense. And you want to just encourage them as soon as they get into their early 20s or they start to settle down, they buy their first house or they get married to start looking into life insurance at that point. That's typically when we would recommend it. Very nice. The second one, <laughs> I don't know if it's very nice. This is a difficult no, situation. But, but good to know.
1: Good, but good to know. You good know, it's know. interesting.
0: Gerber Life Insurance has been sending parents notifications about how they should get life insurance for their babies while women are pregnant for like 40 years. Like it's just been this thing that they do. And it really does put this fear into parents, right? Of like, well, we need to make sure we should definitely do this. And like, what if something happened? I want to make sure we have coverage. And the thing is, it's really leaning into a risk that's very, very, very low likelihood. And the cost is just not covering the act. It's not in line with the actual risk. And so we do talk about it because we do parents get those things in the mail and then they, they panic of like, I really, should I buy this?
1: It's good to know, especially with all of the other types of insurance that you do want to have to know that this one you maybe don't need at all, or could be very, very, very far down the list.
0: Yeah, actually, Lauren, that's a good point, is that most of the time, your term life insurance policy or your own personal life insurance policy, especially through work, you can add a rider for your kids. It's usually only around $10,000, but that will cover funeral expenses. You can add that for your kids for little to no cost. It might be automatic even in your work policies, in which case you already have coverage and that's a better, if you want some type of coverage, that's probably the best way to go. I'm glad you sparked that in my memory. The second question from Mary is about prepaid burial plans for adults. I love that she created a fake funeral parlor That's name. The by the way, or at least I hope name. it's fake.
1: I know. It could be. It could be real. I feel like it came out of a book. Like <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, most of the time. These are not recommended, especially at a young age. This is something that, like, okay, if you're in your 80s and you're trying to reduce assets to qualify for Medicaid and things like that, then you might want to you can put you can buy one of these policies. But there are risks. Um, one of which is exactly what she said. How do we know this funeral parlor will still exist? And these types of prepaid expenses, they're not a standard thing, they are done by funeral homes. So if your funeral home goes away or closes, it will not be transferred to another location. If you move to another state and you don't no longer want to use that place, it can't be transferred. There's a lot of issues there. That money is usually best off in the bank. So saving, you can save for your funeral expenses and put it aside and earmark it. Tell your kids like, okay, in the will, we're passing all this money on. This is what's set aside for the funeral. These are some suggestions of what we want our funeral to look like, what we want our memorial to look like. But it, the money is here, spend it as you will. That tends to be safer. It really only is like really towards end of life where you're trying to just do almost last minute preparations or move money around that that's recommended.
1: That's really good to know. I would not have thought of any of those things. <laughs> like, yeah, what if you move and you're just literally not even in this state anymore?
0: Yeah. And that's where it gets hard and a lot, especially because a lot of people do retire to somewhere else. So this is something that even if you want to do it, I wouldn't do it Decades in advance. Yeah. I would do it. Do it later. Hopefully that takes something off your mind, Mary. Now you don't have to go to Happy right. Acres and, and plan your funeral. <laughs> <laughs> this is such a terrible thing to tell you,
1: but there is there's a oh no. There's a funeral parlor down the road from us. It's called Young's Funeral Home. And every time I pass it, I just burst into laughter. I can't help it. And my boyfriend thinks I'm crazy. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's a little strange. Yeah.
1: <laughs> the last question. Okay, okay. For this month's mailbag comes from Kate B. What are some things that you, or people who are good with money, Kate, you're good with money. Mm. are willing to spend on for kids, even though they aren't maybe fully necessary. And how do they set boundaries around activities? Specifically, I just spent seventy dollars on probiotics for my twins which feels ridiculous, but one of my daughters won't take most brands, and
0: she does like this one. And it will last us six months. I love this question so much. First off, Kate, I think 12 bucks a month for probiotics for two kids sounds very reasonable. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> But I understand how the $70 feels shocking. But Lauren, the reason I love this question so much is because I think that when we get a lot of people that are new to the personal finance space or new to the money management space, they get this message that you have to cut every expense that isn't necessary, right? And that every expense that's even the littlest bit for fun or for for enjoyment is frivolous or unnecessary. And I hate that so much. I think that being smart with money and creating money habits that last for a very long time is more about aligning your spending with your values and for what matters to you. So for Kate, I'm going to share with you what some of my things are. I actually asked a bunch of other personal finance bloggers and finance experts what their things are. So I can tell you those, but this is about setting your boundaries, looking at your budget and saying, how much do I have to spend for my kids and how you choose to spend it is up to you. If someone else in your life or a friend tells you that that's unnecessary or that's silly or you're wasting money, ignore them. What's going to work for you isn't going to work for them. And you've set it up in your budget and that works for you. If the probiotics work for you, that's great. If swimming lessons work for you, that's great. For me, I think the top two that I would talk about are my four-year-old, when it's not you know, coronavirus, goes to a private Montessori preschool. He does not need to go to preschool. My husband's a stay-at-home dad. I work from home. We could... Keep him at home all the time. He could go to a cheaper preschool. I love Montessori philosophy. I, it's really important for me that we raise lifelong learners and problem solvers. And so we're willing to pay for Montessori. The other thing that jumps out that's actually in the same vein is books. This is a thing, our house, learn, you've been to our house, we have books oh, yeah. everywhere. <laughs> Just like, I think our kids own over 200 books. And if they come up to me in the store and they want a book and I flip through it and the lesson is fine, we're going to buy the book. Like, it's just, We have so many kids' books. I'm such a sucker for it. But once again, that's something, it matters to me. Um, Lauren, what do you spend money on for Ainsley? Books is another one. As you know,
1: when we were in Washington, D.C. last year, I think I came home with like five books for her. I will buy her pretty much anything that is teaching her something like mm. especially at her age she is just so curious and just flies through things that i'm constantly trying to give her things that will just teach her a little bit more that fosters her curiosity and creativity those kind of things cuz those are the things that i wanted when i was a kid so Now I want to give them to her.
0: (laughs) Uh, That one's come up a lot. Is anything educational? I think we had Jay Money, who is the creator of Budgets Are Sexy. He talked about he and his wife will always spend on museums and zoos and educational trips for their kids. He also added that they will usually also get ice cream while they're there (laughs) because ice cream is amazing. Yes. Penny from Picks Up Pennies. Her first response when I asked her this question was books and blueberries. And I can't tell you how much I feel blueberries. Like we need a blueberry farm. (laughs) That is very relevant to your household. (laughs) It's very relevant. George is like a blueberry vacuum. But she also said that swimming lessons is on her list. They want HP, their son, to be a great swimmer and to feel safe around the water. So they do swimming lessons. Pete McPherson from Do Even Blog said they have also have hundreds of books, but he just spent over $50 on a model rocket and engines so he can build a model rocket with their son while they're home, which is so fun. That's amazing. That is amazing. <laughs> and then one that jumped out to me, um, there's two actually. So one is from Mrs. 1500, which is 1500, the blog 1500 Days. They're a financial independence blog. She said their 10-year-old has been crocheting for a number of years. And she recently, with everything that's going on, has been crocheting even more and taught her friend how to do it. So she's like, We spend so much money on yarn, but it is something that she is like learning to do with her hands. She is not on a screen; she's entertained, and it's totally worth the investment. There, that's a fun one because that's like a skill. I love that. Though I'm imagining lots of crocheted blankets just all over their house. (laughs) (laughs) True. As someone who crocheted a lot while I was pregnant, I did reach a point of like, we don't need any more things that are crocheted in us.
1: (laughs) That is a skill that I have not picked
0: up yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty easy. We can teach you. But the other one that jumped out was Steve Crowder, and he talked about the fact that they—he's a sucker for taking his daughter skiing. And that is an expense. It's the first one that jumped out that wasn't education-based, that wasn't, you know, real super values-based, except for that he's valuing spending time with her while she's young and still wants to hang out with him. And I think that that's important too. So Kate, this is all over the board. Everybody has their own things. Figure out what aligns with your budget and your values. It's your kids. You know what they need and what they want. And as long as it fits in your spending plan and aligns with your goals, that's all it is.
1: Right. This this really goes right to the whole core of this month, which is download your sheet, fill out what your (laughs) family values are, and then you don't have to feel guilty about it. You made that decision and it works for you guys.
0: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. We're all going to determine what works for our families the best. Awesome, Lauren. Thank you so much for hanging out with me and doing the questions this month. Heck yeah, this was fun. As I mentioned at the top of the show, feel free to send me any questions anytime Mamas. You can send them via email at chelsea at smartmoneymamas.com, social media, or in the Mamas Talk Money free Facebook group, which you should all be hanging out with us in. And when you're thinking about family money questions, remember that your family is unique. Ask for guidelines, tips, and strategies. Of course, it's always good to hear others' experiences. But talk to your loved ones. Think about what works for you. You know your family best. As a reminder, you can view the full show notes of this episode with the answers to the questions we discussed and links to all the resources mentioned at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 35. You can also head there to download your free money values template, which Lauren was just mentioning to start a discussion with your family about how you want to handle and talk about money. My friend, thank you again for listening to the Smart Money Mama show. If you enjoyed this episode or learned something new, hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcasts and tell your friends. I truly appreciate it. Keep talking money mama. I'll see you next time.